right, welcome back to Stone and Clay. We are here with uh, Big Creighton, the Big Croc, as he's known. That's right. In various circles. Um, I just asked you, Creighton, what you're what you're at out of a hundred, and you're you gave yourself a C. Yeah, I gave myself a C. Yeah, C plus. What do you do? You think you're usually sitting at a C? You fluctuate a lot. Um, I'm not talking weight. We can talk about that later. You know what's actually funny that I was thinking about this earlier. I went through a phase where I gained a lot of weight. I was, mm-hmm. I think it was like 2018, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah, you gained like pre-pandemic weight to get ready. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I gained post uh, tearing my ACL weight. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what happened. So tore my ACL. I was working out pretty well before then, and um, tore it and just kept, you know, eating the same way, but not being able to move the same way. Yeah. I didn't get it fixed for over a year and but I gained the weight probably 30 30 pounds, something like that. And uh I haven't gained a pound since getting married, which that seems to be like where most people Yeah, most just, guys die. Yeah, exactly, yeah. especially when, you know, uh when your wife bakes like mine does. <laughs> right. She loves it. Well, all her brothers are like uh all over the place with eating sweets and all that, and so it almost offends her. So yeah. I have to be kind of on my game, making sure I'm eating just the the, the sweet <laughs> the sweet spot. Yeah. So. so, so you you gained about thirty pounds in 2018, mm-hmm. and you haven't you haven't really gained any more. No. But you haven't lost much. Well, it's like I mean maybe I gained a little bit more, but it's like my my weight fluctuates really really slowly, mm-hmm. and I think it's the exact same with like kind of my well-being as well giving myself like a c plus or something yeah you know i examining my personality learning a little bit and especially now that i'm in my late 20s kind of calcifying mm-hmm. hardening mm-hmm. you know my brain stops developing the way it says or it's fully developed now i've learned a lot more about my personality and i think i'm pretty high in neuroticism yeah you know a little probably more anxious than the average guy yeah you know, I had four sisters, and so, like... Did you have any brothers? No. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was the oldest. I had four younger sisters, so, you know, that worked out pretty well And that I didn't get dressed up or whatever, but I think just the general feminine spirit in the home might have affected my um, ability to feel anxiety or, or at least relate with that type of attitude or whatnot. Yeah, so, totally. Um, but, but, yeah, so as I've become more aware of that I realize that it's not just that life is difficult it's just that I, I react to things in a certain way mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah it's actually been it's been interesting to think about that interesting mm-hmm. to think about um, what parts what parts of my personality are actually lacking mm-hmm. versus um, you know what, what's an asset keeping me safe versus what's a liability actually just dragging me down because it's like you know, maybe I deserve another five to ten points on my personality all the time just because, hey, you're doing okay. Yeah. You don't need... Um, yeah, and yeah. I feel like a lot of people always, like, the bad parts of their personality, they say, like, well, that's just the way I am. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at it like, okay, maybe this is kind of in my DNA for whatever reason, mm-hmm. but it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a liability. Mm-hmm. So how do I change that? Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's funny. One of those things is, um, one of those aspects is actually I've learned 
that I need to have more fun. Yeah. That having more fun is actually, um, would be bringing me towards uh, the light or bringing me towards a better score if you want to add a hundred. Yeah, this was something really interesting you said to me the, the other day when we went out to dinner uh-huh. when you said that you felt like you struggled to have fun. Yeah, isn't that weird? And it's it was such a foreign concept to me because that's all I care about. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I apologize if the audio's not great. Oh, it's all good. We're working with a weird little mic here. Um, but, and I mean, I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but like I try to just suck out every ounce of fun I can in everything I do. Mm. And even when I'm like putting my head to the ground and working, I'm like, okay, how can I make this more fun? How can I make this more enjoyable? Mm-hmm. And if if I had my druthers, I would not work and I would just have fun all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, definitely. Like people, people joke around about like, oh, I could never like... It would, it would suck to just be like to not have to work like you need a purpose and I'd be like oh I'd, I'd be fine <laughs> yeah because I would find I would find purpose in the things I'm passionate about and and it wouldn't I wouldn't need to have a paycheck correlated to it yeah absolutely you know? I, I mean it, you said that and I, and I thought really clearly that it's not that you want to have fun all the time. It's that you feel like you have a work to do. And that work is not necessarily correlated to um, financial reward. You have a work to do, but that work is correlated to your creative endeavors. Right. And so, uh, um, you know, instead of most people who are high in creativity, and that's a question I've been asking myself constantly, it's like, do I have any creativity to, to offer? I think I do, but uh, when I really sit down and think and think about it, it's more like uh, um, I really enjoy uh, imitating or um, portraying the art of others rather yeah. than creating my own. Yeah, and I think I think just because you like art doesn't mean you're artistic. Absolutely, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because I think most people, whether they admit it or not, they enjoy art. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're you know they're the Philistines out there that, <laughs> that don't really enjoy any entertainment, I guess, but mm-hmm. I think they're pretty few and far between. Like everybody for the most part has some music they're drawn to, mm-hmm. has some, you know, television or theater or movies, something that they're, they're intrigues them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if it's kind of cheap, campy art, mm-hmm. they still enjoy it. But, um, yeah. Do you, do you think, do you feel like, you wish you were more creative because you're just well, so you just feel so left-brained right I, I mean a lot well but what's funny is um i was voted most likely to go to hollywood in my high school graduating class i was a part of like uh, on a bus on a, on, <laughs> on, a, a on a bus i'm actually what's one of those little things with the three wheels you you pedal you know leaning leaning back oh yeah that's yeah. how i was going to get to hollywood um but no i did all the theater productions mm-hmm. i was i mean i i starred in multiple shows and in order to um act in order to act there's i mean uh different professionals who are going to tell you how to act or the, the theory behind acting there's some who are 
um, like Stanislavski has certain methods of acting and there's, you know, uh, um, you know, kind of a classical acting training, but, uh, acting, there's people who act because they're so creative that they have to create that emotion or create that instance or create that moment on stage. And then there's others, and I'm not sure if this is me or not. I've been kind of thinking about it, whether, um, where I'm just reproducing it in a highly efficient manner. Yeah, you're you're mimicking or yeah, I'm, it, it's a mimic. I mean, it, that that doesn't mean it doesn't produce feeling. Sure. Um, but it's more like an algorithm mm-hmm. that I was able to get somewhat proficient at. You know, as a uh, as a mid teenager. Yeah. Um, and so going into college and deciding to study business, I you know I ended up in a finance job, very very left brain stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it really kind of threw me for a loop uh, as I was kind of going through this formative period while my brain was still, you know, uh, solidifying and I was finding who I was or trying to find who I was. And it was like, okay, well, am I creative? Do I have that bug? Do I have that need to create? Is Mm -hmm. that why I give myself a C plus and not an A minus? Am I just not not taking time for that portion of myself? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I discovered earlier this year that... um, in order for me to be the best version of myself, I, I need to have more fun. Mm-hmm. Whether that's creative fun or just time to relax. Um, because, you know, working this hard, it just kind of uh, feeds a negative thought pattern that um, uh, there's not enough. Yeah. Uh, a scarcity mentality is something that I definitely live with. And mm-hmm. so being able to, to develop... Being able to develop those fun muscles yeah. is actually an exercise in surrender, mm. in um, a, being grateful for what is rather than what is not, um, in, in living in the present moment rather than living in the past or the future. Right. Um, so fun is super necessary. Yeah. Do you feel like you have trouble relaxing? Like you've, you've worked hard. It's been a long day. Do you feel like sitting down and watching two hours of TV and eating some crap? Do you feel like you're kind of antsy because you're like, I, I could definitely be using my time better? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting because fun is different than inactivity. Right. And sometimes th- they overlap. Sometimes, yeah, to a certain extent, and they should. Um, but I'm not sure that that's what I excel at. I, I think I excel at just turning my brain off, yeah, you know, just saying, all right, hook up to the, you know, to your phone, hook up to, we're watching Breaking Bad right now, mm-hmm. you know, catching up with that and just letting my cares flow away simply because my attention is being drawn elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily fun. Right. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's like in the fun arena, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's, it's definitely like pleasure. Yes. You know, and there's definitely overlap with pleasure and fun. Some, But yeah. they're not the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and go I, ahead. Well, I was just going to say, now we're getting a little philosophical here, but when you talk about fun, is it the same? It's not the same as enjoyment, but I think enjoyment and fulfillment are a big part of fun. Mm-hmm. Because for me, like, sports is really, really fun. Yeah. But it's not always, like... A walk in the park it's a lot of hard work mm-hmm. and it's a lot of like failure and disappointment but ultimately 
when I think about going to play basketball or going to play spike ball or whatever, I just think I'm going to go have fun. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and part of it is, especially playing sports like that, I can't like there's I can't be thinking about other stuff. I can't be preoccupied with other stuff mm. because it's so it takes so much of my attention, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm just sitting watching Breaking Bad, sometimes I'm also thinking about my personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if it's like a show I've seen and I'm just kind of yeah. mindlessly You're watching just on your phone at yeah. the same time. Yeah. yeah, sometimes that's when I'm like seeking pleasure but i'm actually fairly miserable (laughs) absolutely (laughs) right which is a really like really counterintuitive like Mm -hmm. i'm seeking pleasure but i'm fairly miserable Mm -hmm. but i don't stop (laughs) right i just mindlessly yes doom scrolling is is a term for a reason sure just hoping for a quick a quick rush of dopamine exactly But, um, but I think I know, like if I go play sports or I'm this way when, like when I'm traveling, Mm -hmm. seeing new things, like to me, it doesn't, there's no element of misery, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Well, it's funny that you say there's no element of misery and I, I was just thinking about a, a number of things, but you, you had the phrase earlier when I'm playing basketball, spike ball, whatever it may be. There's no room for me to be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what that's telling me is um, something that gives you motivation to be completely present is equivalent to feeling a pleasure that does not um, that does not make you brain dead at the end of it. Right. It's like a sustainable pleasure. So being present is a sustainable pleasure, uh, pleasure, whereas being out of the moment, um, you know, scrolling on your phone, just hoping for the next pull of the, the little lottery lever, lever to give you that dopamine or that TikTok you like, or that reel you like, or whatever. Um, it's, you're just kind of draining whatever reserves you have left. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. It's weirdly almost a form of meditation, right? When you're Mm -hmm. doing something, that you really enjoy, that's really fulfilling, and also kind of shuts off your brain from outside distractions, Mm -hmm. right? It's essentially meditation. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, when you're doing yoga or something, you're super still and you're you're being quiet and you're really trying to shut off everything else. Where this, you're still focused on stuff, Mm -hmm. but your thoughts are just on that one little task. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really... It's really cathartic for me. And the cool thing is, because there's plenty of people out there that just aren't into sports. They weren't raised on them. They don't have the athletic bone, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like working out, weightlifting, running is very similar. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's the same thing. Because there's a part of you that knows like, okay, this is like hard work. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some dread involved. But once you get there and you do it, even even a lot of times while you're doing it, it sucks. Mm-hmm. But then you always feel good after. And it's really easy to just not bring your problems with you. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Well, I don't know what to what extent we're, um, you know, shouting out our other podcasts or whatever. I, you know, love listening to podcasts. Yeah. And there was this, there's this been this guy making the rounds on all the different podcasts called Andrew Huberman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a... 
neurobiologist, I believe, or a neuropsychologist, whatever that might be. And he kind of taught me some things about dopamine recently. He goes, dopamine is not actually the the chemical to give you pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's been developed as a chemical to motivate you to do things. And so, um, for instance, when I wake up first thing in the morning, I've got some dopamine, you know, about to kind of rush through me as I get up and do my normal daily routine. It's mm-hmm. Okay, so I was going to ask you, are you... Are you good at waking up? Are, oh, you, are you good at the morning? Horrible. Yeah. No, honestly, uh, going back to the beginning that we were talking about the the rating, if you will, I believe if I took control of my mornings in mm-hmm. any capacity, yeah. I mean, I think I can improve an entire grade point. <laughs> me, me too. Honestly. I'm so bad. And a lot of it is because I'm so good at the night. Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so I'm so prone to staying up really late and but even like dude even on my mission where I went to bed every night at 10 p.m woke up um oh you know what I think it's I think it's full that's right that was okay (laughs) um (laughs) you know going to bed at 10 waking up at 6 30 every single day still every morning was awful yeah (laughs) right absolutely and and once I got into that rhythm, like, I was fine. Mm-hmm. It was easier to go to bed, easier to wake up, but it was still not, like, easy. And I feel like some people, they just pop up in the morning, they're happy, they're ready to go, they jump in the shower. I just, like, if I have nothing going on, it'll take me so long to wake up and get out of bed. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think some of it's genetic as well. It's yeah. got to be, like, partially that. Yeah, both my parents aren't great sleepers mm-hmm. um and i feel like i feel like i just have like i feel like my circadian rhythms are always jacked mm. and like i always talk to people that you know went on these lds missions i said oh you know when i got home i was waking up at six thirty for a while Ooh. every day yeah and i was like dude i woke up every morning at six thirty for two years i got home the next day i slept to like twelve thirty. Oh, what was your time difference I mean, I mean, yeah. Two, two, three hours for Brazil, right? I mean, whatever, but I was sleeping in immediately is what I'm saying. Of course. You know, and like I could just, and I remember talking to my dad and he taught high school for a lot of years Mm -hmm. and he had to like commute an hour or whatever. So he would get up at like five every day for like 10 years. And then he said, yeah, my, I remember um, my first Monday after I retired, I slept till 11. Like, <laughs> and most people don't do that. They just adjust yeah. and they get into these rhythms. Mm-hmm. And, and also I'm able to like, like I can, I can stay up. I can pull an all nighter anytime I want to. Absolutely. Like I'll yeah. for sure pay for it. Mm-hmm. It's never wise, mm-hmm. but like I can, if I want to stay up, I can stay up. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it was it was interesting that you were talking about that because I, I mean I think a lot of it's genetic, but the the same guy talking about you know uh, me getting motivated to get up in the morning, um, he said that one possible solution of getting up is he goes just getting actual sunlight in your eyes as soon mm-hmm. as possible because my you know two years my LDS mission was served in Scotland, yeah, and in the middle of the winter it doesn't get you know the sun's barely coming up at Eight eight thirty eight, yeah. and it it was getting dark at like four thirty five. Mm. I mean, it was awful, just yeah. wrecked 
havoc on my well-being. I didn't actually didn't know what depression was, I mm-hmm. don't think. And then I, you know, I called the 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 um, church member or whatever that was in charge of the entirety of 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 my outing. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I maybe I have uh, sinned in some way. Yeah. And he, and you know, then he sent me, and it, it, luckily it was the beginning of the spring. And he sent me to the very south, essentially the south region, as far south as I could go, and got a bunch more sunlight. Spent the next three months there. I was yeah. light till eleven thirty, and and I was, I was much happier. But um, uh, I gotta imagine just this guy was saying getting sunlight in your eyes as soon, you know, within an hour of waking up is the best way to sort of get your rhythm set. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, you know, a lot of people, the second, like, if you get up and, like, go outside and go for a run, like, that'll wake you up quick. Even a walk. Yeah. Yeah. That'll wake you up quick. It's just, if you don't have to do that or that's not part of your regimen, it's laying in bed thinking, like, do I, like, I'm fine if I don't go running, so I should probably just, just... keep laying here. Well, we're laying, <laughs> laying in bed like I do and for the first half hour of the day and just like scrolling. Yeah. Doom scrolling. I mean, what a worse way to start your day <laughs> than to start it by draining yourself of all of the chemical that gives you motivation to get up and get going yeah. right just by doing this right away. Yeah. And that's essentially what happens. I'm giving myself all the stimulation to drain myself of everything that motivates yeah. me just because I want that kind of that high. Right. And the problem is if you happen to sleep in a little bit, your phone is going to be inundated with notifications. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of the earth will have been up for three hours. <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. Assuming so, they want to talk to you. But yeah. Well, but even just whatever apps give you notifications, yes. you know. Yeah. But it's like, if you get up at six every day, you're one of the first people, you know, that your phone is going to have a couple notifications, maybe some emails, but yeah. it's not going to be flushed with crap. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so... I've actually really felt the difference um, of getting up and just purposely saying, okay, not going to do that for a little while. I'm just going to get started. And I made a world of difference. Yeah. Uh, I'm still not obviously doing it very well, but mm-hmm. that's sort of my um, my aim right now is to kind of take control you, of the motivation Do you factors. feel like you've been a little bit better with it as a married man, or has that not made any difference? Depends on... The time of the year. My wife's a teacher, mm-hmm. and so you know, September to April, September to May, she's up at six a.m. Um, she's out the door by seven fifteen. Um, my alarm goes off at the same time every day, so at about seven a.m. And yeah. um, I would love to to eventually ratchet that back to like six and go uh-huh. to the gym first thing in the morning. So yeah. we'll see how that happens. But I I think just starting by um, getting up when she gets up. It could make a huge difference, right? So, do you like? Do you guys like like the morning cuddles and talking? Or are you kind of just both dead zombies? Uh, she's. I mean, she's either up and getting ready mm-hmm. to go, or in the summer she likes her sleep. You know, she likes to be able to to rest because it's only two three months of the year that yeah. she gets to do that. So, um, I'll be up before her on on most summer days, and I'll just sort of get started and and, and get going because, you know, she's got the whole summer off. So yeah, but uh, yeah, most of our most of the communication most of the pillow talks all right at the end of the day which is great yeah. but usually that's when you want to talk about um you know those personal matters and and if one of you or both of you were just zonked then yeah. the level of communication is going to be pretty <laughs> it's right. been pretty pitiful i mean there's been times it's like man i i really wish i had the energy to put my entire whole heart and soul into this conversation yeah. but i'm going to say something that i regret or i'm going to say <laughs> something i really you know non 
eloquent way, and it's going to come back to bite yeah. in the butt. How do you feel like your overall communication with your spouse is? I think it's actually really good yeah. compared to the average couple, mm-hmm. simply because, at least for me, because I'm so high in neuroticism, mm-hmm. I had to go and um, learn a little bit about how to uh, how to diagnose the things that I was feeling on the inside, mm-hmm. or at least be able to put names to them, yeah. and realize when I'm just like losing my crap. Uh, even for, for, you know, for no reason. Yeah. And so when I got married, I was always the one that was kind of saying, no, 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 no. We need to talk about this now. Yeah. And that was a, actually because of how I was, because I wanted to solve things because I'm the kind of person who will just let it fester yeah. and will worry about it for days. And one of the amazing things is I learned that my wife is completely not that way. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's just incom- you know, it's it, it, incomprehensible to me. You mean she just lets things go really she easily? She just lets things go. Well, what's ha- what'll happen is I will be super, super, super calm, and then I will just like let it all out. And you know, I don't obviously don't like doing that because mm-hmm. when you let it all build out, it comes. It seems really rational. It comes out way too just harsh. emotional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for her, it's like the first inconvenience. She will let me know, and it seems like an overreaction to me. But then if I just give her ten minutes to just not be around me anymore, uh-huh. she's totally fine. Yeah. And growing up with four sisters and all that, you know, all, you know, all that estrogen, estrogen yeah, yeah, all that in the house, it was just completely foreign to me where she had four brothers. So they were used to just, you know, you hit them, you hit them back, <laughs> yeah, you're you done. Get, you get pissed, you just go for a walk. And yeah, exactly. So uh, I think I've been able to take some of the just let it go out of her book mm-hmm. or at least just take some time to, to not be mad at you know, just take some time to not talk about it for an hour yeah. and then come back and then talk about it. By then you've had time to think about what you really feel about the situation. Mm-hmm. And then they've had time to just generally calm down. And then you both come to the conversation ready to like make peace right. about it. So I don't know. I think I've, I think we've done a, a pretty decent job. That's awesome. I feel yeah. like, I feel like that's like gotta be the number one thing that makes people suck at being married. Absolutely. You know, like people always say like the number one issue is like finances, right? Sure. But your finance, your financial crap is probably associated with your poor communication. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and obviously like if you're in dire straits and always living paycheck to paycheck, you're going to be high stressed and sure a lot of problems are going to arise. But Mm -hmm. ultimately... I think once you get out of that bracket of extreme poverty, Mm. like your issues are communication. Well, even when you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's like those issues are going to come because as a subset of you not being able to explore or, or fully, fully understand together the expectations you have for how the other person is going to behave. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, on the, especially in the range of of finances, you have uh, this, each incremental dollar you make can be spent on a myriad of things. Right. And you have your upbringing and the way your parents spent money. She has her upbringing, the way her parents spent money. Those could be vastly different. Right. Um, and I, I wouldn't say necessarily they're vastly different for, for my wife and I, but I mm-hmm. think they're somewhat different. Yeah. But each incremental dollar goes will go to somewhere. And so as you hit each of those barriers, there's going to be a different 
you know, level of acceptability for something. Okay, is this enough that we want to, you know, uh, buy this dress? Is this enough that we want to go out? Is this enough that we want to get dessert with what we're going out right. for? Uh, is this enough that we want to not care if we leave the lights on? Right. Well, you know, and I, I find like it that. interesting what people like, people that like act really frugal, like what people choose to be frugal about. Really it strange. seems really arbitrary. Yeah. Like I have a, I have a buddy that is like very frugal mm-hmm. and he makes a good living. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will like buy extreme amounts of cereal in bulk to okay. like save, you know, $6. What type of cereal? Just like off brand. Gotcha. Like he sees a sale, he buys in bulk. Gotcha. Right? Okay. To, to potentially save like $10 down the road, right? Totally. And he does stuff like this, eats like tuna fish and PB&Js. Uh-huh. And, um, but he's an enormous BYU fan. Mm. And will fly to away games all the time. And I, yeah, I don't understand. And and <laughs> it's just it's amusing to me. And and it's like he can afford to do that. Sure. So it's fine. But I'm like, have some meals that taste better. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if it's marshmallow mateys, dude? That's an off-brand cereal that tastes that like, I can get on board with, yeah. but it's just a lot of cereal, like Absolutely. <laughs> he's has like a mini Costco in his garage. Uh-huh. But um and I'm not, I don't mean to make fun of him, but I feel like so many people that are even smart with their money, they just pick and choose these random things that are like, they want to be frugal about this. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's just amusing. Well, me. and then imagine throwing someone else into that situation. Right. And right. you're like, wait, 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 wait. You spent this much on cereal and you won't let me get these pants on sale at Target? <laughs> yeah. You're kidding me, right? Right. And, you know, there's a lot of tension yeah. that could, could well, come out of that. And a lot of times it's because that guy's like, well, why do you need seven pairs of pants? I have two. Yeah. And that works great for me. Mm-hmm. And you'll and never... one has holes in And them. you'll never understand how important football is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this, this extra pant you want is just frivolous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But to her, it's every pant I have... This goes with every shirt that I have. This is not one outfit. Yeah. This is 25 <laughs> outfits. Right. You don't realize that. So yeah. <laughs> it's a, what do we go with, permutations and commu- combinations. Yeah. Um, just the, you know, the exclamation point and stuff. <laughs> right. On, on your, on, after numbers. They're just really excited about that number. Yeah. That's all I remember. How did you meet your wife? Um, I met her in my church ward. Mm. Yeah. I was just sitting there and... Um, had you, before we get into this, had sure. you... What was your dating history? Were you a big dater? Did you not date a lot? Were you successful dating? Mm. Um, now be honest. I yeah, I was actually talking about this with her a little while ago. Maybe it was with my my sisters as well. But I don't feel like I was a very successful dater. Mm-hmm. Um, again, when you're high in neuroticism like I am, you're gonna. Not only do you have the the dragon of um, a woman's approval mm-hmm. hanging over you, but you also have um, this ab- just natural ability to think of everything that could possibly go wrong and then try to hop on top of all of those solutions. Yeah. Were you pretty insecure, like as a teenager? Um, well, what's funny is I, I, I think it happened because I dated a girl when I was like 14, 15, for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, we broke up and then a couple weeks later she was dating one of my good friends. Yeah. And that just like, it worked a number on me. Yeah. And so for the rest of high school, I was just sort of in this strange limbo. Um, and so I think that kind of affected me, you know, going forward, but, um, I didn't go on a lot of dates during school. Mm-hmm. I would probably go on a, a couple every quarter, mm-hmm. really, just because it's like I would I would try and plan everything. I would say, okay, I'm gonna ask her in this way, and then we're gonna go do this, and it's gonna yeah. work out this way, and this is her personality, and yada yada yada. Yeah. So I only had the mental and emotional capacity to handle so many, you know, in, interactions. Yeah. There's like no that. room for spontaneity. Yeah, and, and and beyond that, I fell you know victim to. Exactly to what I think every other cis, straight man falls into, which is that there's nothing scarier than being judged unworthy by, you know, the female. Mm-hmm. You know, mythologically, if you want to call it that, the the um, uh, the archetype of the princess yeah. or the virgin yeah. or whatever um, being struck down by that Mm -hmm. is essentially to say um no i don't think you fit very high on this higher the hierarchy of the world yeah um so i you know this isn't going to work out well for you i need someone with uh, a little bit more to offer yeah and you know what's interesting about that like because i you could make the argument that i i mean you could make both arguments but you could make the argument that i have had more success with mm. women than you, mm. but I guarantee I've been rejected infinitely more times than you. Absolutely. Because I put myself out there way more than you. Exactly. Um, and it's interesting because you were probably more worried about rejection than I was, mm-hmm. even though I got rejected more than you. Exactly. That's really what it was. I mean, it's just like you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I just, I had such little energy for that Mm -hmm. and had, I would invest heavily in the people who I did like. That really was it. I would, I would kind of just search around and kind of keep my options open and I would find one and I'm like, okay. You were that OG simp, weren't you? I, I, yeah, before the before the word simp even existed, yeah, you yeah, were practicing it. I was all over it, um, and so it just worked out that I would build up all this energy, all this potential energy around acting without mm-hmm. acting, and then yeah. act every few months, and it worked sub, sub you know marginally yeah if you know if at all <laughs> right and so it's just like well i mean why am i spending all my energy doing this yeah and then i eventually repeat the process again but right but i had this um you know when i when i met when i met my wife i had this just rush of bravery that randomly came every once in a while and i'll tell mm-hmm. you actually what added to that is uh in school, I was losing my hair, so I can mm-hmm. I don't even see. I guess you're not recording, but yeah. So you know, I went bald. I started going bald like the minute I got home from my mission. Yeah. Maybe it was there was some sort of Chernobyl I didn't know about in <laughs> Scotland. Sure. Yeah. But um, it really uh, did a number on me. Mm-hmm. And and so what happened is right before I met my wife, actually right after I think we started dating, but I was kind of working towards that. I shaved my head. Mm-hmm. I finally said, no, nope, we're done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm accepting who, where this is going, who I am, what's going on, what, what I'm you, like. 26 or something? 
26. Yeah, I think I was 26, maybe yeah. maybe 25. I think it was 26, though. And I just said, all right, it's going. Yeah. And, and this is the way it's going to be. That had to be one of the best things you've ever done. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just making that decision was huge. Um, I feel like so yeah. many guys would be so much better off if they just if they just made the plunge. Oh, I, and it's funny because I needed um, someone to have that conversation with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually had it a little bit before I was ready, probably yeah. a year and a half, two years before uh, I was ready to take the plunge. Just a buddy or somebody? Yeah, he was, um, he was someone I knew. He lived nearby. Um, he told me, he said, hey, dude, listen up. This this thing you got going on, I'm, <laughs> it ain't it. <laughs> it ain't it. I've been there before. I've been there before, and this is You're holding on to it. <laughs> <laughs> Just let go, man. Yeah. He goes, if you do this, because you were bald and pretty bad. Right? Oh yeah. Well, the thing is, it's not like I had a receding hairline. Yeah. It was like a. Think about it as the no man's land in World War One. Mm. Like little patches had just been blown to smithereens yeah. by, by mine. It was a little Pangea. Yeah. Yeah. It was just. Um, it was not. It was not one solid landmass anymore. Right. Uh, it was just patching and fraying and getting thinner, so it was not a. Um, uh, I did not go softly into that dark night right. with my with my hair. Yeah. I went uh, loudly and badly and screaming. And so I made that plunge. But the guy he talked to me and he said, "Hey man, I think you should do this." I said, "Oh, thanks for the information. You can <laughs> just get bent." <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But then you know he turned out to be completely right. And funnily enough, um, you know as far as his life has gone, it's gone tremendously for him. So yeah. I uh, um, as as. Uh, as far as I can tell, you know, a buddy of mine. So to so shout out to him and uh, you know. well, and I think you look so great because I th- I think you're you're a little bit of a, a burly guy. Yeah, yeah. And you got yourself a nice full beard. Luckily, and I think it just suits you. I think to be fully bald and be like really skinny and have no facial hair, you kind of look like a skeleton. Yeah. Or like a really scary like Russian guy, but <laughs> Raskolnikov. Yeah, yeah. Like your last name definitely ends with a V. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think, I think there's so many guys that look so great bald, but mm-hmm. you have to, like, and if you're skinny, I think you can get a little jacked. Maybe hit the gym a little harder. Oh, yeah. I think you'll look. I think you can kind of look like a bad A if you're bald. Oh, totally, dude. It's and it's in the long term plan. Yeah. I'm, uh, like I said, in this in the two couple of years since I've been married, I've been I've been working too hard, mm-hmm. or I guess I should say I've been concentrating putting too many of my eggs in one basket, which is the the basket of, you know, get as financially sound as I possibly can, yeah. you know, and financially whatever you want to define that as, but um, you know, and it's worked out okay uh, so far, but I. I'm really kind of coming around to like health is wealth and part of health is relaxation and fun. Right. Part of health is not only, you know, losing the weight, making time for that, you know, getting up and getting your circadian rhythms Mm -hmm. balanced and everything. But, um, so yeah, I think if I could kind of put that time in, I like, I love the idea of that 75 hard, um, you know, where I don't know if you haven't heard of it, it's, um, two workouts a day, one has to be outside. Mm-hmm. I think it's like no sugar, um, you know, a couple other things. I think you just have to follow some specific diet mm-hmm. and like no alcohol, no. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of LDS people do like no soda yeah. or whatever, oh, yeah. right? 
And then you have to drink a gallon of water a day. Which is so much. It's a lot of water. I mean, I can do, I, you know, when I was, I actually lost about 20 pounds a while ago. Mm-hmm. Just didn't keep up with it. Yeah. Um, but I lost it in like two months. It right. Was, it, and that was just, you know, it laid off the soda. I ate a bunch of smaller meals. And mm. I was drinking 100 ounces of water a day. Were you working out? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Only like three, four times a week. Yeah. Are you I working mean, out right now? Uh, not really. I'm taking, I, I was taking walks a lot with my dog. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my, it was actually my in-laws dog. So, you know, the dog moved out, but I have a goal to continue that. Mm-hmm. But it's been, my, my version of working out has been the fact that I've been like finishing out my basement. Yeah. Um, mostly myself. So we're coming to the closing chapters of that. And I'm like the next, you know, what's the next thing? What's the next yeah. thing? And so funnily enough, the next thing is now quit having a next thing yeah, and to do it and just yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and just and just be in it and just uh enjoy it yeah so working outside. um do you feel like you're at like your maximum capacity um i was in the meat of this basement thing mm-hmm. so it's taken me uh, you know it's taken me seven months i believe just seven months, twice as much money as I thought I was going to spend on it. Yeah. All of my attention, so many new things. Um, eventually, you know, if, uh, about a month back, I basically said, okay, uh, it is now we're at that point where it's worth contractors coming and finish right, this. Right, right. Yeah, so as soon as they finish that stuff, I can now sort of psychologically put that to rest and, um, you know, get ready for other, what's next or yeah. get ready to just start being in a better manner. Yeah. So... What do you, um, if, if someone was like, Hey, what is like one thing you, you, you could change about yourself, but it'd be really difficult because it's kind of infused in your DNA. What is something about yourself you'd love to change? But you're like, yeah, that's, that's an uphill battle, man. That's just kind of who I am. Um, I have been... I have think I have been deconstructing the idea that 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 exists, mm-hmm. that this is just the way I am as a thing. Yeah. Um, just because most people are one change in environment away from being able to get rid of a lot of that. Right. Um, that change in environment is the painful part, and that's yeah. where people think it's ingrained because they think that's just that initial dig out is gonna gonna get to them. But yeah. For me, um, it relates back to just this sense of comparison mm-hmm. um, between, you know, other people and myself. And I it, mostly, I would say it's like financially. Mm, really? Yeah, I mean. So you see a lot of people that are doing super well or really wealthy or whatever, and you kind of put them on a pedestal, or you just kind of are envious. Definitely some envy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just more. It's not even that oh, I wish I had that, Mm -hmm. or I wish I could be them. It's like, no, I don't. It's more that I have taught myself through my experiences and my upbringing that wealth is the product of luck and not work. Yeah, yeah. And I'm... One thing I love about myself is work ethic. I have Mm -hmm. have extremely good work ethic. I'm actually trying to tone back on that (laughs) a little bit. Um, But I think my... uh, it's not necessarily jealousy, but a sense of comparison or a sense of unworthiness uh, in regards to my ability to achieve some sort of um, what I define as financial success. 
And so I get really resentful about that. Mm, it was just happening. Yeah, it was just happening earlier today. There's a lady um, in Utah. She does like interior design or whatever. Yeah. Now she has a Netflix show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's designing these homes. And these homes are just, you know, gorgeous beyond yeah. belief. And I'm like, man, if only I were one of the bourgeoisie. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're just <laughs> like, lucky bastards. <laughs> exactly. I'm sitting here just the, uh, you know, at the bottom, the proletariat of life, <laughs> right. you know. And that's kind of, I just would love to get rid of my idea that I have, that I'm some sort of like lower class or in my abilities or that um, the cards have been stacked against me in what, some way yeah, or yeah. that I'm destined not to achieve success. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say is kind of where I, where I wish I could just switch that off. but. Yeah. In reality, I think that res- that resentment would get cured or at least alleviated to a large measure by um, living in the present and yeah. showing gratitude. Yeah, because a lot of people would be like, dude, Creighton's living the dream. Creighton's well off. Like, I'm envious of him. I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. I can afford to go to Buffalo Wild Wings, man. I mean, what, what more do you need? You can, you can probably get extra guac whenever you want. <laughs> That's I've, true. <laughs> I've seen you get that extra guac. Yeah, yeah. yeah the extra guac's where it's at. Yeah, right? you'll go to a hibachi restaurant and you'll get noodles and rice. I have done that. Yeah, you Actually, don't. you get the double rice. That way you can just, like, take some of it home later. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, do you remember... Do you remember when we met? Um, I remember you being being there <laughs> yeah, being in the, our friend circle somehow somewhere yeah somehow i don't remember the first time we met no it's probably because you probably were like yeah he's he's probably you he might be a little irritating i think i'm going to keep my distance and i would not have blamed you <laughs> the least uh, that doesn't sound like me i i never found your brand off-putting at all well that's Comforting. <laughs> I, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody rubs somebody the wrong way, mm-hmm. but I never. You were you were always the right combination of intelligent without being pedantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's funny how like so many of your friends, you just you remember that initial first time you met, and I, <laughs> I think we just kind of really merged into friendship yeah no it was in <laughs> and, orbit and that's how it happens a lot of times when you have mutual friends mm-hmm. right because it's not like we met at a function and clicked and decided to be friends yeah it was more like our friends were friends and so suddenly we're at things together and then we start talking exactly <laughs> right? yeah but yeah it's funny because we've probably been friends for around four years yeah i would say yeah something like that four to five yeah but I just don't know how we met. Well, that's okay. I'm just grateful that we did. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anyone else who I would rather, you know, discuss these topics with. By the way, I wanted I wanted to uh, shout out. There's a there's a podcast called Classical Stuff You Should Know. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, AJ Graham Thomas, if you're listening, thank you. But they talk about all these like different classical subjects mm-hmm. and I, and I, the one person who I, who comes to mind is you when I'm like, gosh, I would love to just have Taylor <laughs> listening to this yeah, yeah. and we could dissect it together. <laughs> um, it, it just, there's so many ideas that, that have come through the, the woodworks, particularly from that podcast. And, yeah. and, and I know that you and I have a, 
a mutual love of, of JBP. Right. Are, and so um, that's been extremely gratifying as well. So. Yeah. Are you, um, are you reading these days? <laughs> you know, I've actually, I, I'm a terrible reader. Mm-hmm. I am actually reading Dante's Inferno right oh, now. Oh, okay. Because of the, you know, basically because I got an overview of it and I was like, okay, I, You're I understand. You're kind of a pseudo-intellectual. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's, maybe I read it just so I could say I read it. <laughs> right, right. And I was like, maybe if I can invite it in a podcast sometime, I could say yeah, that I'm yeah. reading. I, I'm only about a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, not, I'm catching far less than I wish to. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I just, I don't read very well. Yeah. Like you I'm, don't retain well or you don't? Like your attention span isn't great with it. Whenever I take the time to read, I, I'm I'm asleep mm. so quickly. Yeah. But my ability to listen is just pretty astronomical, and mm. so I think that maybe I'm just sort of a Neanderthal in mm. which I I haven't developed the the capacity to digest large amounts of literature. Yeah. Um, mainly, I know some of it's that relates back to. I can't be present in, the, present in the moment. If I was able to be present in the moment a little bit more, right, right. then I'd be able to read more. Yeah. Um, but I... Because um, you almost, to get, like, to really enjoy reading, you almost got to get in a little flow state. Absolutely. Because otherwise you're just, like, reading it because you feel like you should, mm-hmm. or you're like, there's some crap I need to learn, so I got to read this, mm-hmm. or whatever. But when you really enjoy it... You don't really notice that you're reading. You're just emerged. Yeah, you're just enjoying it. Yeah. And you're not worried about when you're going to be done yeah. or what happens to be next. And again, you know, um, me baking on things and my wife being able to live in the present, she reads books all the time. Yeah. I mean, she has books that she likes and uh-huh. there's, you know, there's probably a Venn diagram of what we might enjoy reading together. But she's reading mm-hmm. and I am not. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just... Um, but I love learning. Yeah. I have rediscovered in, in the past probably three years, um, a love of learning and it, it you really can't spell rediscover without read. <laughs> R E D read. If I know anything about reading, it's that that's how it's spelled. That's right. Well, I mean, I prefer to rediscover through listening. So that's why yeah. disc is in the middle of that. Uh, list. Yes, re-disc. It's for... Re-disc-lining. Yes, that's it. You got it. Perfect. And so um, I'm... Uh, that's what I'm... I've been learning more lately. I've been learning um, about the world in which I live mm-hmm. and about the thinkers who have gone before and thinkers, you know, current. Yeah. And to realize just how unoriginal every argument I'm hearing is <laughs> right. You're like, guys, you don't realize everything that you've said has been said for at least the past 1500 years. Right. Yeah. It's just like certain arguments were impossible 1500 years ago. Cause we weren't talking about solar power Yes. or we weren't talking about stocks or yeah. crypto, like mm-hmm. certain things didn't exist. So certain channels of arguments didn't exist Mm -hmm. but the way you approached the arguments existed absolutely (laughs) you know yeah yeah they've i mean there's been the effects of like globalization Mm -hmm. there were there was no globalization before there was only your community right and so your community was so much more immediate 
that you actually had a capacity to understand the effects of your actions in some sort of ethical sense. Whereas nowadays, you know, you go to Lululemon and you buy a t-shirt and you ask about the ethics of that. And essentially you have to understand the entire supply chain in order to, to add the supply chain and the current political sphere and historical biases and, you know, uh, future plans. There's just so much that, that's why you don't ask. You just, <laughs> you just buy the shirt. You just buy the t-shirt, yeah. man. It's silky soft. It'll make you look cooler. Right. Yeah. It'll make you look trimmer. Well, you wouldn't be seen at the high fitness class without it. I wouldn't. Yeah, definitely not. No. So, uh, but it's just been interesting to hear that, like, all of the arguments, especially after the, you know, like, the election from a couple years back, I actually, you know, quit social media for about a year after that just mm-hmm. because the contention was so heavy. Yeah. Um, but, and it got me, you know, thinking, it got definitely got me thinking like, man, I really need to kind of get down and, and, and battle with these ideas a bit, um, working on battling from words on a page now, you know, just mostly battling through listening. Yeah. But it was interesting to hear that like, wow, these are this is the same conversation that's been going on for for hundreds of years and so in an actual attempt to put my money where my mouth is as far as like learning is concerned i said okay i'm gonna pick a book that i know is not crazy that i know sort of the story of a guy gets led through hell it's got to be at least somewhat entertaining <laughs> yeah, you're like i've been to hell that's yeah, easy I've enough been to hell and back you know and so you get to learn about you know people uh you know like for instance the first level of hell uh, is lust. So it's very interesting that uh, in today's day and age versus back then, they, they thought lust was sort of the the most surface-level sin that sends you to hell if you mm-hmm. haven't been, you know, uh, hadn't been baptized into the church yeah. or whatnot. And the punishment for going to that level, that first level, level of hell was that you were blown about by strong winds. You're mm-hmm. just sort of blown about in a whirlwind. Okay. And so I was able to learn a little bit of, from there. It's like, huh, man, if, if you are caught up in some sort of lust, um, for instance, then that means you're just blown about by whatever desire happens to come your way that you're time. You're kind of unstable. Yeah. Yeah. It's you interesting. Don't, you can't, you know, build a strong foundation or footing because you're ruled by your desires and your desires are so flimsy and fleeting that how could you ever go in a... A consistent direction. Right. And even, I think when people hear the word lust, they only think about like sexual lust. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like you can lust after like food. Anything. You can lust after just your carnal desires. Yeah. Absolutely. And lust is more like a wishing something to be other than it is. Mm, yeah. That's, I think that's really what it comes down to, which is just another form of not living in the present. Right. So. I mean, so that's one lesson that it's like this, you know, way before uh, Playboy magazine or anything like that, you have this guy, Dante, in, you know, I think it's like the early, you know, late 1300s, early Mm -hmm. 1400s or whatever thing, you know, writing about it and providing some tremendous insights. Yeah, interesting. I've always wanted to read that. I just haven't got around to... Old Italian literature. <laughs> yeah, the old Italian literature, it's where it's at. You can smell the pepperoni coming off the page oh, when you totally. read. Um, speaking of pepperoni, what's the best pizza you've ever had? The best pizza I've ever had? 
Golly, I visited Chicago mm-hmm. once, 24 hours. That's okay. all I spent there. I was yeah. there. I was there for an interview. And you had some deep dish. And I had some deep dish. Did you go to Giordani's? I think it was Giordani's. Okay. I know that the, there's the two there's, of them, right? There's Giordani's and Lumalnati's. Yes, it was Giordani's for okay. sure. We went to Giordani's. Mm-hmm. I had it. It was like 11 at night. I was with two high school buddies because yeah. I grew up in Texas, but they happened to both be up there. Mm-hmm. So we met up. We chatted. Um and it was it was pretty dang good. Yeah, I mean, I mean you can't move for the next twelve hours. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. Yeah, like I like Chicago style, but it's really not pizza. Yeah, it's really like it's almost like lasagna. It's almost or something. Lasagna. Like, so maybe that's disqualified. It's um, no, it like I'll allow it, but I want to know your outside of deep dish. What's the best pizza you ever had? Outside of deep dish, I'm going to give another shout out, a local shout out to a place called Pier 49 Pizza. I know oh, really? it's a chain. Okay. I know it's a chain. There. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they have multiple ones, but if mm-hmm. you've ever it's a it's a San Francisco style pizza. Yeah. What makes it San Francisco style? Sourdough crust. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, sourdough crust and they um they have a couple flavors there that are just to die for. Mm. Um but they have one I believe it's called the Gold it's a, I don't know if it's a Golden Gate. But there's one that's like a buffalo chicken style. Yeah. Tremendous. I mean, just absolutely spot on. And so every single variety I've had there has just been tremendous. So nice. if you guys are around, I got, they got one, you know, Draper, I think. So yeah, yeah. They got a couple. Interesting. Okay. Probably the best pizza I've, I've ever had. I mean, and I take people there and rave about it and yeah. and it's worked. You know, nice. They're converted. Good. Yeah. That's good. Um. Okay, we'll wrap this up, but a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had like, if you had like, uh, like two weeks to live, mm. but you're in perfect, perfectly good health, you're just gonna get murdered in two weeks. Perfect. Um, and everyone, like your families, like they get it. They're not gonna be mourning the whole two weeks. It's just sure, sure. you got two weeks to do whatever the hell you want, mm-hmm. and you've got plenty of money to, to burn. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll say your wife and kids are going to be murdered with you. Oh, so right. like you don't Wonderful. have to worry about like, worry about a will. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just go and, and do what you want. What's on that kind of mini bucket list. Um, that mini bucket list is going to be probably going back to Scotland, the, going back. Well, maybe Scotland, but just Europe in general. Mm. Have you been anywhere else besides the UK? Yeah, I have uh, been to uh, I've been to Paris. Mm-hmm. I spent five days in Paris, and it was it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and went to Rome and Florence. I ran through Vienna. That was all, basically all I had time. Mm-hmm. Or ran through um, I think I wrong the wrong name. Um, Flor uh, Florence and what's the other one in Italy? Venice. Venice. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was in Vienna. I ran through Venice. That mm-hmm. was it. Uh, spent time in Florence. Spent time on the Amalfi Coast. Oh, cool! But I honestly, I think I might just uh, probably go back to Paris. Yeah. If I had two weeks to live, yeah, Paris would be. You should plan a trip with your wife. Oh, I absolutely. We we actually did, mm-hmm. but my my um, I got a killer deal, mm-hmm. and then my passport was expiring like the oh, week shoot. afterwards, and they won't let you in the country if mm-hmm. your passport is yeah, yeah. within a certain amount of time. Right. So. Right really uh upset about that but yeah yeah man just going and appreciating 
the art that has gone before, whether yeah. or not I'm creative, which seems to be a question that's still <laughs> right, yet to be answered. Right, right. But uh, appreciating just the the culmination of what is considered art and beauty yeah. in, in the Western canon. Right. And yeah. just spending, you know, that time in a beautiful place with people. Well, there's just, there's something enchanting about Europe, right? And it's, yeah. I think it has everything to do with just how old everything is and how yeah. you know anywhere you are, there's tremendous amounts of history. Yes. Whereas United States, best case scenario there was some like Native American genocide a couple hundred years ago. Best case scenario. <laughs> that's the best, best case. You're on top of an Indian burial ground. Right. And, and that yeah, can that's be what fun. You can hope for. Right. But um Yeah. Um I haven't been to Paris. I've been to France, but I just went to like the French Riviera. Oh, okay. Like gotcha. um, Nice and Cannes. Beautiful. And went went out to Monaco. But, um, yeah, I haven't done Paris yet, but I'd love to. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely worth it. Notre yeah. Dame right before that right. fire happened a couple of years ago. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so that's where I would, that's where I would go. Nice. Um, okay, what's, um, what's one question that you would ask me? If you, if you ran the podcast and you just had one question for Big, big Daddy over here. Big, Big Chirp. Yeah. All right. Um, that's a great one. How do you think that the need um, to create has changed or affected the decisions that you've made in your life? Mm. It's interesting because the creativity that I have, it kind of snuck up on me. Mm. Like, I don't feel like... It's funny because I was a creative kid. Mm -hmm. Like I was obsessed with art and drawing mm -hmm. and like I wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and both my parents like were art majors and met in art okay. class in college. And my dad taught art for a while. Um, but I like when I was probably like eight or nine, got way into basketball and sports mm -hmm. and kind of left it all to the wayside, right? Sure. And kind of kind of let that skill just die, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like I can still um if you ask me to draw something, I think I would do better than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I just kind of let that part of me die. Mm -hmm. And but I didn't feel any any like I, I didn't I didn't feel like I didn't feel like something had died, right? Sure. I was just a kid and, and, and discovered sports. Yeah. Um but all the while I was writing in journals like a madman. Mm -hmm. But I still didn't consider it a creative endeavor. It was me wanting to document stuff. Sure. Right? And wanting to like get down on paper that I had kissed a girl. <laughs> You know, and yes. that I had scored 12 points in my basketball game. Yeah. And that I had seen Hook. You mm. know, I was just Wonderful like... Wonderful movie. Great movie. Yeah. But I really just wanted to like document my day. Mm -hmm. And I was obsessed with lists and keeping track of stuff. Um, and then as I got older and kind of discovered books and discovered reading and literature, that's when my writing became more creative and became a creative outlet. And so even even like as young as 
um, like 18, 19, 20, it wasn't even on my radar yet. Sure. I was still, cause I wasn't, I wasn't a precocious reader as a kid. I mm-hmm. kind of got into reading into my late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you reading? Um, I, as a kid, I would read sporadically, but it was always just crap. I would read Garfield, like oh, comic books. Sure. And I would read sports books mm-hmm. exclusively, mm-hmm. like badly written biographies. Of course. About Shaq or Michael Jordan. Yeah. Shaq wrote this with you know, 90% <laughs> help from you know, some actual writing. Right. And, and a lot of them had pictures, mm-hmm. you know. And Which I was like, oh, you know what? Kid. You know what was big for me? Mm-hmm. I started reading the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> yeah. But I would read it cover to cover. Yeah. <laughs> Every record. Every record. And nobody does this. It's no. like reading that atlas. Exactly. Right? It's like reading the encyclopedia <laughs> yeah. from start to finish. But I read and I and then I would finish it and I would want the next year's one. Mm-hmm. And so I probably read ten. Guinness Book of World Records, cover to cover. Wow. Um, And that got me interested in facts Mm. and wanting to learn random crap. Mm -hmm. And this was pre-Wikipedia. And so when Wikipedia came out, I was all about it. Um, But yeah, like I said, I feel like all of this evolved. Like all my interests kind of converged and became like... Because then I got home... When I was 21 from Brazil, started studying history, but still, like, I wasn't thinking... Studying. Yeah, I was more, I was more interested in academics and, like, I wanted to be a high school history teacher and I wanted to just know everything about history. Were you reading for the facts at this point still? Um, kind of, but I think a lot of it was I was intrigued with the stories, right? Uh The human element of things. Um, cause I got super into the Holocaust and, oh, yeah. and all these things, but natural to be very into the Holocaust. <laughs> of course. Um, it's really light. Yeah. It's um, light. Relatable. Yeah. Relatable. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, deep into my major, like history major, all you do is write papers. Sure. Like all you do is read and write. Mm. And I started to really enjoy it and felt like I was pretty good at it and, and also people would always tell me like, like I, you know, you know how LDS missionaries always have these like long email chains they send everybody. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I really enjoyed my weekly emails because I knew I had a big audience. Of course. Yeah. And so I tried to be a little funny uh-huh. and a little poetic at times. It's a blog post. Right. Yeah. But I, no um, recipes though. But I remember when I got home, I got like a lot of compliments from random people like, Oh, I loved your emails. Like they were just fun to read. And, mm. and, um, I think a couple of people were like, you should be a writer or something. Mm. And it was just a little seed, you mm. know, it wasn't like, I was like, okay, I'll do that. But it was like, it was kind of a little seed that worked on me. And then just writing 20 page papers about the FLDS church or, or the crusades <laughs> 20 or pages seems like a, a short, paper on to capture the FLDS. Well, I didn't fully capture it, but I sure know a hell of a lot about them. Sure, sure. Um, but I got obsessed with digging deep. Yeah. You know, and and that's really what writing is. It's digging deep and figuring out what you think, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so 
but at first it was very academically driven Mm -hmm. and it was like, I want to write this amazing, insightful paper about this like concentration camp that nobody knows about. And, and I want to dig up these facts that people aren't aware of. Um, but along the way I realized if you're like strictly writing like history stuff, it is not creative. No, it's very dry and very, factually based and there's not room for really opinions yeah right Mm -hmm. in traditional like historical sense so you could write a historical fiction (laughs) right but um so that's when i started to like um i started a blog Mm -hmm. and just started writing random crap that was interesting to me and and that just kind of it was just kind of this evolution but the interesting thing is um I think had I like got married at like 21 or 22 before all of this happened, I probably never would have gotten into writing seriously. Mm. I may have just stayed in that lane of academia and I don't know, maybe I would have discovered it eventually. Like I've always felt like a creative person, but um, I don't know, I felt like it, it really found me. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, and then, like, podcasting and and uh, other forms of media I'm exploring now, it's like, that kind of found me, too. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, it wasn't as popular a while ago when I first started writing, but I found that podcasting was another way to be creative. Um, but... Well, it's another way to dig deep. Yeah, it's another, and it's another outlet because... Yeah. I don't I don't have the mental fortitude to like write three hours a day every single day. No, definitely a few um, people do. Yeah, and you know, the, the goats do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the prolific writers out there they do. Um and crap, maybe I'll maybe I'll get there someday, but I don't think that's me. Sure. Um I also think a lot of writers are more introverted than me oh yeah and are happy to be in a room for 12 hours a day not talking to anyone and and my problem is i'll be two hours into writing and i'm in a great flow but then somebody calls me and wants to go to dinner and i'll be like okay boom yeah yeah but that can just be a continuation of of these things because it's like the only two ways to think like sitting there sitting and thinking you don't really ever come up with anything it seems like the only way you're ever actually synthesizing something is if you're speaking with someone or you're writing something right right so it seems like that's just a continuation yeah yeah Yeah. and i mean some people i think some of these writers that were kind of hermits they were also just kind of geniuses yeah you know because i don't think they needed to go out and socialize and experience a lot because their brains were just exploding well many of the best writers were like not even very well liked for sure. I mean, wasn't it was it Socrates that was killed? I I don't remember. I it, it was I think it was Socrates who basically he was he was told to get out of town. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. he basically said they they basically said we want you to leave. If you don't leave, we're gonna kill you. Yeah. Um. But and then I know that you know others of these amazing philosophical writers they had horrible marriages because all oh, they yeah. wanted to do is be with their their thoughts and be with their students and stuff. Right. Well, and I've, I love reading about writers. I feel like it's really insightful for me. Um, you know, their process and their history and, and all this stuff. And so many of them were just horrible human beings. Yeah. And 
all, you know, had mistresses upon mistresses and died of syphilis and, <laughs> you know. Stuck um, their head in an oven. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Shout out Sylvia Plath. But, um, <laughs> Sylvia Flat, you mean? <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So what a way to go. Uh, I can't, like, um, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. She is an unbelievably beautiful writer. Really? Yeah. I haven't read anything. Yeah, she's, she's mostly a poet, but she wrote a couple novels. Uh-huh. And I actually, I haven't read a ton of her, but I read, I started reading her like unabridged journals and they were amazing. So, so amazing. Um, anyway, but, um, what a thing to read. Yeah. Like a very disturbed young genius. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, do you, do you think, do you think that it should reflect upon how much we pay attention to a work based on f- for less uh, for lack of a better description the goodness or the fruit of the person's life and by fruit do we mean the art or by fruit mm-hmm. do we mean the actions in her and his or her yeah. personal circumstances that's a, that's a good question because it's hard when you know a lot about a writer it's hard to read them the same way mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, and I tend to like gravitate towards writers that I also find to be interesting human beings Mm -hmm. and I find the reasons why they're writing or what they're writing about to be compelling yeah um and like for instance I started reading this book um that has become probably if not my favorite novel of all time it's top three and I had never heard of the author never heard of the book okay but I was just reading this memoir by Patty Smith, and I really like her stuff. And she was talking about, oh, and I was, she like briefly mentions this book that she read on a trip and really enjoyed. Sure. And, but she, it was like a paragraph about it that was really beautiful. And she's like, it was so moving. And, and she mentioned that the author was dying when he wrote it. Oh. And knew that he had like, a few months to live. Uh-huh. And this was like his last masterpiece. And that to me was so compelling. What a creative. Right? Yeah. And so I like immediately like Wikipedia to him and was like, and then I found out that he was like mainly a poet, but he also wrote like 20 novels, but he considered himself just a poet. Sure. And he said that he just wrote novels to make money. <laughs> <laughs> but then his most famous work was this last work and it's like a thousand pages long and he literally was like racing a clock. Of course. And he also didn't have time to like do second, third drafts. Yeah. And so I was like, I got to read this. Uh huh. I don't know why. It's just so compelling to me, just the auspices of how it was written. Oh, and well, and the lack of filter that you place yeah. upon your editing. I mean, if you have to get that done, I mean, it's, it's um, the Walter White's, uh, it's his Walter White meth. He thought yeah. he was going to die. And he just, he's like, some people write a thousand page novels, other people decide right, to make one last batch. <laughs> one last batch. <laughs> but, um, but it turned out to be just, yeah, like it's maybe my favorite novel ever. Sure. And it's not just the romanticization of it all, but, but it, it plays a part, I guess. Absolutely. It yeah. Would. Yeah. It can't not. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, that's just me. I love, even if I'm reading nonfiction, you know, I'm reading somebody's 
story about, you know, their time in Kuwait or, you know, something like that. Like, I want to know more about the author and what he's been through and why he decided to write. You know, that stuff's interesting. Yeah, you have to let things color. You have to let the experience of the author color it because nobody can produce great works of art outside of themselves. Right. No one is a vacuum through which art, you know, comes into being. Yeah. It's all colored by expression. Right. Yeah. So I'm not confident I answered your question, but I, I might have. Oh, I think, I mean, it, yeah, you talked about, you know, how it affected your choices and how it's not yeah. up on you and, you know, the, the growth you've experienced through it. So I think you did, definitely yeah. did. At least I, uh, I came back to it at some point. <laughs> but um, anyways, well, uh, anything else? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's we could definitely do this again. Yeah. I think that there's so many ideas to, to explore together, and, and I, this has been um, pleasurable just and not in the dopamine full of lever type of way, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the get up, you get up early and, and play some sports and work out type yeah. of way. And, you know, there was, uh, it, it's work to converse yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's work to think, but mm-hmm. that's where we, I think, find a lot of meaning and, yeah. and, and, um, like I said, pleasure. So yeah, totally. Well, I appreciate you coming over, um, taking the time and, uh, yeah, for all you who are listening, appreciate you and, uh, go ahead and share this episode with anyone you don't hate um if you do hate them maybe maybe send it over send as well send it to them anyway yeah. yeah what a great way to you know bury the hatchet build some bridges yeah <laughs> could you imagine see. just somebody you really hate just hey, oh, hey here's an episode have oh, a listen I, I can see them i would listen to it just to like spite them right. yeah i listened to it and it sucked okay yeah yeah but yeah, would... I I don't really care. Like as long as you're listening, I'm yeah. getting those downloads. I don't care why you listen Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. <laughs> if I have like thousands of spite listeners, that's fine with me. Great. Anything yeah. to drive the algorithm. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, appreciate it, guys. Um, we'll see you soon.